Well, today we're going to look at the power of names in Scripture, uh, specifically looking at Ezra. And it's important to understand uh, that names in Scripture always have a deeper meaning. Now, we live in a culture where people tend to pick names because they just like the name itself. But in Scripture, you'll see that the names are there to give us a picture of the character of God. Jesus told the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. One way that God's character is revealed is in names you see in the Old Testament. And we talked about a few names last week in Ezra. Look at a few more names. And you don't have to think about the, the names so much, how to pronounce them. But just keep in mind what they mean. And we're going to look at Ezra chapter 8 and look at a few of these names. And again, in Ezra chapter 8, they have been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And now they're free to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. About 50,000 went back with Zerubbabel. And now about 9,000 are going back with Ezra. Four-month walk from Babylon to the Promised Land. Babylon always represents sin and corruption. A literal city, but spiritually it represents sin, corruption, false religion. And Ezra 8 tells us Ezra went up out of Babylon. There's only one way out of Babylon, and that's up, and up is Christ. And he's going to give us a list of names, and those names, again, reveal pictures of the character of God. Now, if you look at, for instance, how we use names in our culture, when you look at cars, people tend to like cars that are named after strong, aggressive animals. So you have names like a Mustang or a Jaguar, or you have cars about adventure, like an Explorer, so names are a part of our culture. We don't usually tend to choose names for people, though, based on what they mean. But we do have a lot of names that have meaning. And cars are interesting. When I was in the Marine Corps in Japan, we had a Honda, and it was called a Today. So names are not always easily translated from language to language. But if you look at like the major car dealers themselves and where they got their names, many of them, of course, named after their founders. Uh, you have Ford. Honda, Audi, Chevy, Chrysler, Ferrari, Porsche. Some of the more interesting ones, though, are not named after the founders and why they pick these names. Uh, so, for instance, Aston Martin. That's named after car races in Aston Clinton in the United Kingdom. Cadillac, named after a French explorer who started the city of Detroit. Uh, Daewoo means great universe. Hyundai means modern times. Mercedes, very interesting, named after the daughter of one of the first employees of Daimler, which preceded Mercedes. And then you have Volkswagen, which is known as the people's car. So a car that was affordable in time when many cars were not able to be bought. So names, they represent things as far as when we look at cars and company names they pick. On well, scripture, they named their children to be a demonstration of their faith, a belief in God. And so Ezra 8.1, he says, this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia. And then he lists some names that may be difficult for us to pronounce. But again, just pay attention to what the names mean. Ezra 8, these are the names, he says, of the people that went with him. First one is uh, Shechaniah, and that means with whom the Lord dwells. Next is Zebediah, the Lord provides. Joab, the Lord is father. Obadiah, worshiper of the Lord. So just those four first names, whom the Lord dwells with, the Lord provides, the Lord is Father, a worshiper of the Lord. 
So again, very clearly, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, what are some character traits then that we see in Christ? Unconditional love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, strength, all these things. And then you see some more of that character of God revealed when we look at some of the names here, such as in Ezra, with whom the Lord dwells. We move into 2017 and think about what is God going to do in our lives or how does he work in our lives? Well, he dwells in our lives. He provides. He is Father, and we are to be the worshiper of the Lord. Max Lucado shares about he was on an airplane, and another minister shared a parable he learned in another country. And he said the parable is simply this. There was a man who was CEO, and his office was at the top floor of this skyscraper. People had not seen the man yet, but they had met his daughter. And as the parable goes, the daughter goes to the top floor, gets off the elevator, and orders the guard to go get her a coffee downstairs at the nearest deli. And he thinks, wow, if she's that bossy, what's her father like? She then walks down the hall, sees that the secretary is very busy. She yells at the secretary to stop what she's doing, immediately go clean my office. The secretary goes to clean the office and thinks again, if this is what the daughter's like, well, what's the father like? And then he says in the parable, if you look at it from a different place, say the daughter shows up at work, gets off the elevator and says to the guard, I brought you a coffee and I want to ask you, how is your family doing? And then she goes to the secretary and sees the secretary is very busy. And so then she says to the secretary, let me help you with your workload and sit down for a moment and tell me about your family and express his real concern. The secretary would say then, wow, if this is what the daughter is like. I could imagine what the father is like. And then he quotes and he says, although she does not use the name of her father, now people are saying, if the daughter is kind, what must the father be like? They've not seen him. They've not met him, but they know his child. So they know his heart. So it is for us. Jesus said, you haven't seen the father. No one has, but you've seen me. And once we've seen Christ, we know the heart of the father. So we know what Jesus is like. So we know what the father is like. Jesus reveals the father in completeness. And so we can say then, what is God like? Well, in Ezra, he's the Lord who provides. He's the Lord who dwells with thee. He is the father. We are called to worship that promise of who we are in Christ and worship the Lord for who he is. You go back to the 1600s, 1629, when the Taj Mahal was built and the Taj Mahal built in India. There was a Shah and his wife had died. He wanted to build for her a special memorial. And so he built the Taj Mahal. And as the story goes, he got so caught up in the palace itself that he forgot why he was building it. And her tomb, we're not even sure it's actually there in the Taj Mahal because they lost the location of where they had originally buried her. And so the original purpose had been forgotten. He had become so obsessed then with this palace itself. So it is for us that memorials are meant to be milestones to point us to a truth. Now he may have lost that truth in the Taj Mahal, but we're looking at Ezra to see those milestones or those keystones about the character of God and not to forget these promises of who he is in our life as he is in Ezra's life. And that's what Ezra wanted the children of Israel to understand as well. That's why he says, when I left up out of Babylon, these are the ones that went up 
with me. And so they're going to go with him up out of Babylon. And let's look at a few more names. Again, he names these names for a reason so that we could see the promise of who he is in our life and walk in that place of faith as well, knowing again the promise that as God is revealed in scripture, he's the same in our lives. So the next name we see is J. K-L, which means my God lives. Anytime you see a name with that E-L at the end, it's a demonstration of somebody's faith because E-L, L, is just a general term for God in scripture. And so when you see E-L at the name, at the end of a name, it's somebody identifying their life with faith. So you have Daniel, you have Ezekiel. So these are the promises. And so J-E-L, my God lives. The next person, Ezra says, is Josephiah, which means the Lord adds. And then Adon Cam, my Lord has arisen, arising as a judge to your defense. So he arises to your defense. So here in the next three names, we see the promise. My God lives, or the Lord adds to my life, and the Lord, or my Lord, arises to my defense. Tremendous promises here revealed in Ezra, showing us... From the first name all the way down to these names we're looking at, the one God dwells with, the one that God hears. God is the Father. Worship the Lord. My God lives. The Lord adds. The Lord has arisen. Keep in mind, again, some of these names, we'll look at just a couple more here. You know, there have been some studies done to show how easy it is in psychology to kind of make people temporarily insane. And so, for instance, they'll put somebody in a room and they'll randomly set off a buzzer. And if the person can't stop the buzzer, they just get incredibly frustrated. But they found if they gave the person a button to turn off the buzzer, even if they had to walk from room to room to push a button, it took away the frustration because they had the illusion of control. So no button, can't control the buzzer, they get very frustrated, very upset. Put a button somewhere, even if it's hard to get to, suddenly people feel in control and they can push the button, turn the buzzer off. And so they want that certainty. Well, as we move into the new year, we recognize that we can't be certain of what tomorrow brings. But we can trust, as Ezra shows, in the promises and presence of God. Max Lucado wrote something just very beautiful about this picture of being in control versus surrendering that control to faith. And he writes it like this, and it's simply called, I Choose. And what he says is, for the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. It is now that I must make a choice. Because of Calvary, I'm free to choose, and so I choose. I choose love. Today, I will love God and what God loves. I choose peace. I will invite my God to be the God of my circumstance. I will choose to forgive. I will live forgiven, and I will forgive so that I may live. I choose patience. I will overlook the inconvenience of the world. I choose the kindness. I will be kind to the poor, for they are alone, kind to the rich, for they are afraid, and kind to the unkind, for such is how God has treated me. I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose self-control. I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by God. I will be taught only by Christ. 
I choose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To these I commit my day. If I succeed, I will give thanks. If I fail, I will seek His grace. And then when this day is done, I will place my head on my pillow and rest. Tremendous promises and peace when we accept that we can choose because we've been set free by Christ. And may we choose to be faithful in following Him revealed in all these different names in Ezra, the one God dwells with, the one God hears. But here's something incredible that happens next. Ezra 8.15, Ezra shares this. I gathered them by the river, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priest, I found none of the descendants of Levi. It's a four-month journey from Babylon to the Promised Land. And as they start the journey, and Ezra's going through the names, he said, I immediately realized we had nobody from the tribe of Levi. The significance is the tribe of Levi were responsible for the daily operations of the temple. If you weren't in the tribe of Levi, you were not supposed to have office in the temple. So Ezra says, those who were in charge of the temple, we had nobody with us from the tribe of Levi. What's interesting is that he doesn't panic. And he's not afraid. He doesn't make a rash decision. Again, you'll see the importance of the names because he tells us this. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, who were leaders, and sent them to Ido, the leader. Ezra 8, 16, and 17. We'll finish with just these few names. Keep in mind, you don't have to think about the, the names so much or how to pronounce them. Think about what they mean the character of God that's being revealed, the promise that's being revealed for you, for me, entering into 2017 and saying, Jesus promised if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. If we know him, we know the Father. Jesus revealed what the Father is like, showing grace and mercy and strength and courage and love and forgiveness. And here are these pictures in the Old Testament revealed in people's names. When Ezra stops and says... We can't go forward yet. We need other people. He names this list of people. Here's what their names mean. Eleazar, whom God helps. Ariel, Lion of God. Shemaiah, whom the Lord has heard. Elnathan, God gave. Nathan, gift. Zechariah, whom the Lord remembers. Meshulam, devoted one. And Ido, the leader, his name means love. Think a moment about this picture. When Ezra says, who do I need to go with me? And when we say, who do I need to go with me? Or who do I need to be in, somebody's else, in somebody else's life to represent Christ to them? When Ezra says, we can't go forward yet, we need these men, what does he say? We need the one whom God helps. We need the Lion of God. We need the one whom the Lord has heard. We need the one that God gave. We need the gift. We need the one whom the Lord remembers. We need the devoted one, and we need the one named love. Incredible. And so we can stop and say all those things and more are who Christ is in our life. And then we can stop and say, now how can I be this for somebody else? 
Or if I have a need, who do I know that represents God's help? Who do I know that knows how it is to hear the Lord and know the Lord hears their prayers? Who do I know who's been in a deep, dark place, but God remembered them and I can turn to them? Who do I know who is loved, who's devoted? Who do I know who's that lion of God in their faith that I can turn to them in a time of need? And as Jesus said, if two or more touch a thing together, it shall be done for them if it's done in his name. That touching a thing together is two people making a contract together saying, I'm going to hold on to you and you hold on to me until this prayer is manifested in our life. So when you have a time of need, who can you call that knows what it's like to be helped by God? Who can you call that has strength like a lion in their faith? Who knows what it's like to be heard by the Lord? Who knows what it's like to be remembered in dark times? And who can you be that representative too when they need a lion strength of faith when they need somebody to know what it's like to be heard and remembered by the lord who can you come alongside and say i've been there i can help you i know the father more deeply because of who he's been in my life all these names with whom the lord dwells the lord provides the lord is father worshiper the lord lives the lord adds my lord has arisen whom god helps lion of god the lord heard the lord remembers devoted loving all these are a picture for us to take and say god is who i need and at every moment he's there for me when i need the lion strength when i need the one who arises on my behalf when i need the one who hears we enter into 2017 with a new strength and a new faith and a depth in our commitment of saying, I trust him because he's all these things and so much more. One of the most powerful stories I've ever heard is that of Mel Trotter. 1800s, Mel Trotter was a severe alcoholic, so much so that when his child was starving to death, Mel Trotter used all the money they could have bought food with for alcohol. His child ended up dying. He told his wife brokenly, I'm not a man, I don't deserve to live, I'm a murderer, I'm gonna end my life. He didn't do that. In fact, they had the funeral for the child and two hours later, Mel Trotter was drunk, broken, tortured, chained, unable to get free. Nobody could help. One night he was walking alone in his desperate, depressed state, heard some music out of a chapel, went inside. It was a worship service. They were singing hymns. He said, can somebody help me? They shared the love of Christ. He gave his heart to Christ. His life was chained, changed. He was broken free from alcoholism in a moment, a miracle. He went on to found treatment centers for addicts and alcoholics teaching people, God will set you free, trust in Him. He had critics though. Could somebody who had been so dark in their past really stay changed? He said the most beautiful thing to his critics though, when they said, how can you know you'll never go back to who you used to be? And Mel Trotter said this, I was there when it happened. January 19th, 1897. 10 minutes past 9, Central Time, Pacific Garden, Mission, Chicago, Illinois, USA. You see, when you know it, you know it. And when you've surrendered all to Him, you know 
the promises of Christ. And then you can simply say, I was there when it happened. And as you enter into 2017, take some of these names and what they represent about the character of God and say, as I move into 2017, I know that God is on my side and has my best interest at heart. And he gives me a lion faith. He hears me. He remembers me. He dwells with me. He arises to my defense. He loves me. He's devoted to me. He gives me the gift of his son. Just a simple exercise as we close. Joshua Bell, a couple years ago, newspaper won a Pulitzer Prize. They had him, who is a master musician, play in the Metro Station, Washington, D.C. The violin he played was $3 million. Only six people noticed and stopped and watched. Tremendous story. Tremendous study in psychology. All this beauty, a master musician, people didn't notice. And sometimes we don't notice things. Maybe we need to notice. Quickest way out of fear, gratitude. Three simple questions to think about. These are from a, a mentor of mine, Chloe Madonis. But as you think about moving into the new year, today, tomorrow, every day, walking with the promise of who you are in Christ and who he is in your life, just three questions. What am I grateful for? Who am I grateful for? And then why am I grateful for that thing or for that person? Why? What is it about them? Why am I grateful for them? And then thirdly, how can I express that gratitude? Quickest way out of fear is gratitude. What are you grateful for? Who are you grateful for? And why? What is it specifically about them or that situation you're grateful for? And now how can you express that gratitude? How can you live differently in 2017? How can you trust more fully now your entire life to the one who arises to your defense?